Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today, with me, James Hansen. On today's episode, we take you inside the failed peace talks between Ukraine and Russia. Let me take you back to March 2022, when Russian and Ukrainian delegates met in Istanbul for a second round of peace negotiations. At the time, the talks were held as momentous, but are now a matter of disagreement between Ukraine, the West and Russia. In this week's Sunday Times magazine, Yaroslav Trofimov talks to those who were around the negotiating table and examines why the prospect for peace broke down. Ukraine was forced to negotiate uh, in the beginning, and it chose to negotiate in the beginning, because really, you know, it didn't have much of a choice. It wasn't clear if the state was going to survive in the early days, it was certainly written off by many in the West. And uh, negotiations was one way of playing for time, trying to find out your enemy's intentions. The two sides had made some progress, sort of find common positions, but still they were were far apart on many key issues. You know, for example, you know, when President Putin claimed that there was almost a deal in Istanbul and he waived some of the draft documents, they showed that on the size of Ukrainian armed forces on how much they were allowed to have in terms of tanks, artillery, and other heavy weapons, the two sides were still quite far apart at that meeting in Istanbul at the end of March. Capping Ukraine's military and its ability to defend itself was a key Russian goal. And for Ukraine, it was to push Russia to withdraw back to pre-invasion lines. But ultimately, Ukrainian negotiators had no authority to make long-term commitments. And this is where the version of events differ. Ukrainian negotiators tell Yaroslav that no binding agreements were actually made in the room. Instead, the two sides agreed to engage in serious discussions on how to end the war. For the Russian part, President Putin claims that Ukraine accepted Russia's demands and it was because of this that Russian forces retreated from Kyiv. But American and Ukrainian officials said they had no choice but to do so. At this point, continued peace talks seemed likely, but then Ukrainian forces rolled into Bucha. And as Ukrainians advanced the following day in the town of Bucha, just outside Kyiv, I mean, they found a horrifying sight. They found more than 400 bodies of Ukrainians uh, who had been executed, sometimes in cold blood, sometimes just shot in the street, they brought in corpses in courtyards, you know, bodies eaten by dogs. And that was a shocking discovery that showed to the Ukrainian people and Ukrainian leadership what really happens under Russian occupation, because nobody really knew. Like the Russians, you know, had cut off phone signals, you know, there was no ability to get out of these areas. And so this this discovery changed the perception of the war itself among many Ukrainians and in the, in the government of Zelensky, because to them, this was evidence that Russia doesn't just seek neutrality for Ukraine, doesn't just seek some kind of nebulous promise not to join NATO and be aligned with Russia, but it really seeks the destruction 
of the Ukrainian nation and identity and, and is using, you know, as, as Zelensky put it, genocidal methods. As the world saw the true extent of Russia's brutality, then-UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson met with President Zelensky in Kyiv, the first Western leader to do so, during which Johnson said he would back Ukraine a thousand percent and quickly began discussing military aid, sealing the deal that Ukraine would be abandoning peace talks. In the months that followed, Ukrainian and Russian officials still met, but talks of an end to the war ceased, with the two sides mostly discussing trading prisoners and reopening Ukrainian grain exports. Ukrainian and Russian goals have remained unchanged since Istanbul, but that thousand percent support from the West appears to be faltering. And with Western support all but dried up, Yaroslav says Russian troops are on the attack once again. Tomorrow, Republican voters in Iowa begin the process of choosing the party's next presidential nominee, with Donald Trump the overwhelming favourite. For the Democrats, Joe Biden remains the clear frontrunner. The polling shows the president is struggling to hold on to the support of black voters, a key part of his electoral base. David Charter is US editor for The Times. David, just give us a sense of the problem facing Joe Biden here. Well, black voters have always been extremely important and necessary to Biden. But what's been happening over the course of the three years of his presidency is that opinion polls suggest that support among black voters for his leadership in particular is ebbing away. He received 87% of the black vote in the 2020 election. And yet two latest polls have put him, both of them have put him on 63% among black voters. So while they are just 14% or so of the electorate, it's a really crucial voting block that turns out for Democrats through thick and thin. What remains to be seen is whether Biden can win them back after concerns about how inflation in particular, how rising prices, like all groups of voters, have hurt black voters and have sapped their support for Biden. It's clearly a problem Joe Biden is aware of because he gave a pretty hard-hitting speech recently in South Carolina. Yeah, a very hard-hitting speech talking about the poison of white supremacy, allying that with the MAGA movement, the Make America Great Again movement, suggesting that it is an extremist movement that does lean into white supremacy. That was the subtext of Biden's uh, speech in the symbolic black church where nine black worshippers were murdered by a white supremacist in, in 2015. And David, it's not just with black voters that Biden is losing support, is it? Absolutely, definitely, because whereas we've seen a slight shift in black voters, the opinion polls suggest a much bigger shift, actually, in uh, Hispanic voters away from Biden and towards Trump. Whereas black voters tend to say, if they're losing faith in the Democrats, they tend to say, well, I'll vote for someone else. I won't vote for Trump, but I'll vote for a third party. Hispanic voters really are seemingly uh, shifting to the Republicans. David, thanks for joining us. When the Golden Globes took place last week, Succession star Sarah Snook was one of the big winners. But now, Sarah, who plays Shiv in the acclaimed HBO drama, has been speaking to the Sunday Times about her insecurities. She's preparing to star in a new theatre production of The Picture of Dorian Gray in London's West End. It's the cautionary tale of a handsome young man obsessed with preserving his good looks. 
And Sarah's been telling our colleague, Decca Aitkenhead, that she's also previously worried about her appearance. The Succession star says that as a teenager, she felt ugly and depressed, and that during her acting career, she was once told off by a producer for eating cake. You can read the full interview right now at thetimes.co.uk or on the Times app with your digital subscription. In this week's Sunday Times magazine, there's a must-read interview with Novak Djokovic. The Serb has won a record 24 Grand Slam men's singles titles, making him arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. But as he begins his bid for a record-extending 11th Australian Open title, why doesn't Djokovic inspire the same affection as a Federer or Nadal? David Walsh has been sitting down with him. The interview was very interesting. I went to Dubai to see him. I had no idea what to expect. I'd been told that I would be given an hour with him, which is you know pretty decent for somebody at his level of sport. And we ended up spending two hours chatting. David, he's a more controversial figure than some of his contemporaries. And I suppose that goes back to his views over COVID vaccines, which obviously became a massive story at the Australian Open two years ago. What did he say about that? Yeah, I mean, his point is that he's not anti-vax. What he is is pro the right of every person to decide whether the vaccination is right for them. In other words, if you had a principled opposition to taking a vaccination, you should be allowed not to have it. Now, there would be consequences for that. And Novak Djokovic says if he had not been allowed to go to Australia, he would never have gone. He wasn't vaccinated. But what the organisers of the Australian Open in Melbourne said to him is, you can come and you can apply for a medical exemption and our independent medical advisory board will give a judgment on that. And he got his medical exemption. By the time he arrives into Australia, the federal government in Australia know he's arriving. They know he's not vaccinated. And there's a bit of a public outcry and the politicians are deciding that he really shouldn't be here. And David, Novak Djokovic turns 37 later this year. Did you get any sense that he's a man with one eye on retirement? No, he doesn't have a date. He says he he feels that it will be a decision made on an emotional, psychological, motivational level. He's pretty confident about his body kind of holding up to the rigours of the level of tennis he's currently playing at. The guard hasn't changed yet. Novak is still the guy in the pole position in all of these tournaments. And over the next two weeks, he will be the guy to beat in Australia. David, thank you. And you can read David's full interview with Novak Djokovic in this week's Sunday Times magazine. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.